Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Trish Gregory completes her life-changing series entitled, Worth the Wait. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. You know, I told y'all last week, for those of you that were here, if I know your story, I'm going to share your testimony. Sometimes I ask permission, sometimes I don't. Praise God. One of our, she, she used to work with us, but praise God, she doesn't work with us anymore. And I say praise God because it's for a very good reason. So Nas, uh, about two or three years ago, two years ago, I think it was, her, she and her husband decided that they wanted to have another child. Never mind that they already at that time, I think, had a 16-year-old, but they wanted to have another child. And so uh, they went through IVF. And that first, and their heart's desire was to have this child. And they went through IVF, and the first IVF failed. She miscarried that child. Of course, it was devastating, of course, to her. Um, but, you know, we were all in faith with her. So it, it, it was devastating to us as well. And um, the faith of her team, whether it was her family or the staff or her church family, um, we continued in faith with her because we know their heart's desire. And so she said, you know what? And if you know anything about Nas, she is tough. And she um, said, you know, we're going to do it again. And so they did it again, and praise God, she had little Keith. Um, and he's, a, I think he'll be one this year. He'll be one this year. Yeah, he's, he's one this month. I said this year, but last month in March. Yeah, because he's my baby. He's a March baby. And so, um, and so, Praise God, they went through it, it hurt. But how many of you know, little Keith was worth the wait? Amen. Now at that time, she said, well, and we're going to do it again, thinking that they were going to need to do IVF again. But you know what married people do, we're supposed to be having sex. <laughs> Lord, we got a yes, sir, from Minister Bernard in the back. And, and with that, they naturally conceived, and she's pregnant right now, due soon, with their third child. And how many of you know that and all that was painful was worth the wait? Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit was worth the wait. When Jesus kept telling them, listen, I'm going to send somebody in my place, they didn't know what to expect. Three days, he's dead. Three days, he's gone. But he, when he rose again, it was worth the wait. Amen? It was worth the wait. And then when he finally, when the Holy Spirit after 50 some odd days comes, they all said Holy Spirit was worth the wait. Our foundation text is found in John 14, verses 16 to 17 in the Amplified. And it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, welcome or take to its heart, because it does not see him or know him or recognize him. But you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. Jesus repeats himself a little bit later in verse 26. He says, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, stand by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me, and to act on my behalf, he will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. Jesus lets them know 
We all know that Jesus is where? He is at the right hand of the Father, seated there, waiting for us to make the world his footstool. Right? And so what is going on right now, whenever we scream, Jesus, we dispatch Holy Spirit. Whenever we cry out, Jesus, we are dispatching Holy Spirit. And he has many assignments in the earth. And he is the most underrated, underestimated being in the earth. Because we're so conscious of Jesus, rightfully so. But the one that's with us all of the time and the one that's constantly comforting us and directing us and guiding us is this person called the Holy Spirit. So my assignment is to not only introduce you to my best friend, to make, but to make sure that you know exactly who he is and what he does in the earth and compel you to know and understand and receive that he should be your bestest friend also. Now, we already talked about the, the first part of who he is. He is our, let me get back there. I'm moving too fast here. He is our we already talked about number one, he's our counselor. Number two, he is our helper. Number three, he is our intercessor. And now, number four, he's our advocate. Now we're going to pick up on number five, number four. He is our strengthener. He is our strengthener. He is the one that gives us power to keep going even when our flesh is weak. He is the one that gives us power to keep going even when our flesh is weak. I'm talking about keep going in the spirit. Keep going in that which is good. Keep going in that which is God's will. Keep going in obedience. Keep going in love. Keep going in patience. Keep going in long-suffering. He is the one that strengthens us in that effort. Now, it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, I'm going to read from the Passion. It says, but you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith. And that word, building yourself up, is the, is the root word, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, um, strengthener. When we are building ourselves up, it's likened to when you build muscle. How many people spend time in the gym? And you know, when you are building muscle, how many of you know it don't feel good? It don't feel good going, it don't feel good doing, and it don't feel good afterwards. But it feel good when we look in that mirror. We like what it does, but we don't particularly care about the process. Yet we endure the process for the result. And those that have vision for the result, they will say it was worth the wait. But when you are building muscle, you got to know that you are shredding, breaking down. And then if you're eating right and doing what you're supposed to do, then your body comes up, comes in, and it's naturally programmed to respond by building, making it stronger. So when your muscle breaks down, your body says, hold up, wait a minute. If you're putting in it what's right, it's going to say, let's make it stronger. It's going to lean out the fat. It's going to build the muscle, not only make you look good, but make you stronger in the process. Now, just think of the spirit realm versus the flesh. When we break down that flesh, Holy Spirit says, but I'm building you up. When we break down that flesh, Holy Spirit, but I'm saying I'm building you up. When you're feeding Holy Spirit, he will build you up to not only look better, feel better, but be better. 
We're stronger. We're capable. We're able. We're not double thinking or overanalyzing that vision that God's placed in your heart, saying that it's too big for me. Because when you're stronger, you realize you ain't strong enough to do what God told you to do. He called you because he's equipping you because he, he's, in, he's not only enabling, he's not only giving you the ability to do it, but he says, but I'm going to meet them where they can't, just so that they, then they know that it was me all along. He says that this, I wrote here that this involves the activity of praying in tongues because Holy Spirit is positioning things in the spirit for you. When we are praying in tongues, mind you, we're talking about what Holy Spirit does in the, the, the tangible evidence of his presence upon is praying in tongues. I'm not minimizing that. We spent a lot of time, Pastor Gregory is second to none on teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, right? When we pray in tongues, this is why it's so vital. You don't know what you're praying when you're praying in tongues. But I can tell you this and assure you of this. You are praying the perfect will of God. So even though you might have your little prayer list, your little faith confessions of what you want, you believe God told you this. If it's not really God, he's editing, he's grammarly-ing that prayer list when you are spending time in Holy Spirit. You know, how many of you know about Grammarly? Yeah, some of us need Grammarly. Right? Grammarly is that supplemental program that corrects your verbiage in your written documents. And when it's an extension, sometimes it's overcorrecting. But it would rather you overcorrect than to have you out there sounding crazy. And that's what Holy Spirit does. He'll overcorrect. Your understanding and posture you in the spirit. When he says he strengthens you, you know, when he says he strengthens you, and you're praying in Holy Spirit, he is in the spirit realm dealing with the hearts of other people, lining and posturing and positioning them to give you favor. I remember when we were, um, this is way back when, when we were wanting to rent the Impact Center at the Marietta High School. And initially when we went to them, the gentleman that was over it, sweetest pie, former pastor, he wanted to help us. I think I'm getting this story right. But see, his superior was somebody else, a woman, that was not interested in helping churches, for she was not a Christian. So she denied our efforts to rent the impact center. And we knew that that was where we needed to be, right? It was our heart's desire. We felt led there. But when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, my husband and I, but my husband more so than I, will go around and drive around and just pray in a parking lot. Just pray over looking at it online. Sure enough, took a little bit of time, but that woman, I don't know what happened. She retired early. 
Oh, he said she got fired. <laughs> this is what I want you to understand, saints. When you're praying out the perfect will of God, he will move people out the way that's blocking your blessing. He will stand people up that's looking to favor you. He will lead you around the barrier and put you on the express train. Forget the martyr. He'll put you on the express train and said, I don't care if it took five years. It's going to take you two years to do what you need to do. Amen. Sometimes we give up too easy. But when God puts something in your heart, and you, you can disqualify lustful desire. You can disqualify greed and want. But you know that this is a desire of the Lord. Just because Satan put up an obstacle don't mean that it must not be for me. Some doors are meant to be kicked down, doggone it. Some windows are meant to be shattered. So when he's your strengthener, when he's the one that's building you up, he says, don't worry, you, you, you surrender the flesh, you break down that flesh, you break down doubt, you break down fear, you break down insecurity, you break down what mama said, you break down what daddy said, you break down what ex-husband said, you break down what ex-wife said, you break down what society said, you break down the statistics, and you said, but my God. If he is for me, then who shall be against me? If God is on my side, 10,000 may come over here, but they will not come near me. When he strengthens you, no is not an option. And we can't fold so easy. See, just because Jesus came and he says, I'm going to give you abundantly above all that you could ask or think, just because he says you're more than conquering all this here stuff, we think it's supposed to be easy. We think it's supposed to be easy, but you got to remember there's an enemy on assignment to not only block what God has for you, but most importantly, he's here to block your faith. And when you recognize that it's him blocking your faith, that strength says, but dude, you are so under my feet. You are so beneath me. You're even lower than dirt. He is our strengthener. But he strengthens us not only in accomplishing the will of God, he strengthens us by shunning, helping us to shun sin. First Corinthians, this is not in your notes, so uh, if you could, and I'm sorry, I'm just now telling you media department, but First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I'm reading from the Living Bible version, so I encourage you to jot this down in your notes. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 in the Living Bible. It says, but remember this. The wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. And no temptation is irresistible. No temptation is irresistible. He said, not nary. <laughs> Type that in your chat, not nary. 
How you spell Neri? It says you can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. All too often in the temptation that he's talking about there is sin. There is so, no sin so heavy that God has not provided a way of escape. So oftentimes when we find ourselves caught up in sin's grip, I'm just going to say it. It's because we want to be there. When we are in this space of not wanting to stop have sex outside of marriage, we might want to not to stop having sex outside of marriage. We might want to be right, but we might want him or her more. We might be scared of what they will say or do if we say, I want to be right with God. And Holy Spirit, he's there. He's going to do his job if you're truly committed to him. It might start with just moving out of the same apartment or house. Let's just start there. Let's get the temptation out my house. Because let's, let's get this straight. It's better to, it's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation. It is far easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation. Can anyone deal with fire and not be burned? You can play with fire if you want to, but at some point you're going to get burned. Just stop playing with the fire. Amen. Ultimately, what he strengthens us to do is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. And I, one of, you know, I keep saying this is one of my favorite scriptures. The whole Bible is my favorite scripture. But it says, Paul's talking here, and he just gave a list of all the things that he's accomplished, all of his degrees, all of his victories, all of his assignments, high-ranking assignments. And he says, but I count myself not to have apprehended. In other words, I don't want to stop there. I haven't arrived yet. He said, but this one thing I do. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press. Say, I press. I press. I press. When we understand what he's saying, I press. In other words, there is resistance. He said, this one thing I do, I press for the mark of the high calling or the high prize in Christ Jesus. The one thing is pursuing the will of God. That's the one thing. And you got to know, no matter how many ways it's dispensed, when you're pursuing the will of God, 
You just have to know that there is resistance. And I'll submit this to you. Sometimes the greatest resistance is not without. It's in a me. Sometimes the greatest resistance is in us. I don't like hearing the stories, and I have them too, where I just thought the vision was too big, afraid of success. Not the, I'm never afraid of failure. I don't care about failure. Failure makes us stronger. But then stepping into that next thing, and the vision is so grand, and I, I take too much of the weight on myself, and I, and I don't want to be responsible for what success might bring. And to be quite honest, if I was to just be totally transparent, because I don't know if I want to work that hard. But that's that mind absent of the Holy Spirit, your strengthener. Deacon Larry gave me this book, or recommended this book, and I went and bought it. And um, it was about a woman named Jamie Kern Lima. And this woman... She's a Christian. With the little faith that she did have, she comes from the world of broadcasting, journalism, and all this stuff, right? But she believed God gave her this idea because she had a skin issue. He'll turn your pain. He'll make that pain part of your promise and his plan. She had a skin issue, and she wanted makeup that would adequately help cover up her skin issue. Happens to be a skin issue that I deal with as well, rosacea, right? Lightly, not as bad as some people do. And so she comes up with this makeup, go through all this testing, eight years testing, development, testing, development. Her and her husband put all their money into this here product because now it's a success. Put all their efforts into this product put all of their resources into this product, quit their jobs, mortgage their house, borrow money from investors to get this product out there. And they finally, and she, she had a little break, but it wasn't enough. Then she got that big break. She got that big break, ended up on this here, that, what's that, some of y'all, QVC. Some of y'all are addicted to QVC, need to be delivered. <laughs> and she explains how she thought she was successful, but that success required so much more. It was so much more work that it took to get there. She's here, and it still requires so much more work. So now they're doing it all again. She's working tirelessly. She's making millions. She's doing very well, but it's more work. She put family on hold. It's her and her husband. It's more work. Someone offers to buy it. She says no because she believed this other company was supposed to buy it. She says no. Mind you, that was her break. But she believed that somebody, this other company was supposed to buy it. Work. They rejected her one or two, three times, I think. And then finally, she became the richest woman in cosmetics in history because that company bought her company for $1.2 billion. What if she gave up in the process? What if she bought into the lies that she don't know she's not a chemist? She don't know what she's doing. 
What if she bought into the, I'm too tired? Amen. He is your strengthener to sustain you, to keep you from sin, to keep you in his will, to keep going forward. Number five, he is our standby. He is our standby that is ready for duty or deployment. The word standby there is defined as readiness for duty or immediate deployment or assignment. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, again, this is not in your notes. This is what happens when you are preaching about the Holy Spirit. Because stuff keeps coming, keeps coming, and you just got to know how to turn it off. It's not in your notes. Media team is not in the notes. So jot it down. Acts 4, 31, it says in the King James, and when they had prayed, we're talking about Paul and Silas here, they had boldly preached the word of God. Boldly. And now they, they, oh no, this is, oh, I'm ahead of myself. This is in the notes. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness and courage. This is in the Amplified as well. And so what the Holy Spirit will do as your standby when you are spending time with him, because mind you, it doesn't say that they were praying in tongues. They probably was, but they were assembled together. Hello, which is why Saturday prayer is so good and important, but they were assembled together in prayer. And then it said they all were dispatched. They all were dispatched to go and minister the word of God with boldness and with courage. When he is the one that's a standby, I have a quick, another quick story. One time, I was on an airplane, and there was a flight attendant, and you could see that he, he was very flamboyant, if you know what I mean. He was very flamboyant. And he, uh, but he was excellent in his service. And I'm watching him, and something about him just kept my attention. My husband wasn't paying no mind. You know, he was doing what he does on the plane, probably sleep, <laughs> or trying to sleep. And I, this guy just had my attention. And I know Holy Spirit told me to just tell him, your father still loves you. But because I was so afraid, I'll say it, I was afraid. Pastor Trish was afraid of his rejection. I didn't tell him. Now, because I remember it, and this happened several years ago, you know that it bothers me till this day. It bothers, and I look for him every time I get on a Delta flight. How many of us are so caught up in our own fear of rejection, what people think, that we choose that over somebody else's eternity, their peace, or their deliverance. When you are in an encounter with somebody, you are bearers of light. You will have plenty of opportunities to witness and minister to people. When he is your standby, he will tell you, just say this to them. And you think it's you. But most of the time, it's so not you. I'll end it on a good note. Yesterday, as late as yesterday, I was like, Father, you always give me examples. A lady named Rosie at the gym. I'm swimming, and I finished swimming. We're in the locker room. I'm sitting there with two towels on. That's it, dripping wet. And Miss Rosie decides out of nowhere, I don't know who this woman was, decides she's going to start talking and spilling her entire story. 
And you know, you don't want to be rude, and she was oblivious to the fact that I was just in a towel. And she kept me there for 20 plus minutes, telling me how her husband had been trying to divorce her since 2017. She just found out six months ago that he has an entire family that she didn't know anything about, her 10-year-old twin. She's telling me the whole story, right? Bless her heart. And I, you know, I know I have an exit strategy. <laughs> I do. I've rehearsed it several times. So when I don't, because people talk to me a lot, and when I'm not able or not in a place where I can give them my full attention, I know what to say. Not to be rude or anything, but to gracefully exit out, right? And so he said, <laughs> I ain't going to tell you, because if I have to say it to y'all, y'all going to be mad. <laughs> but Holy Spirit told me to just sit there. And I sat there and listened to her and listen to her, and listen to her. And I only thing I said was, you know what? There's an enemy that's meaning to make your life miserable, but there's a God that wants to give you victory. And she says, you know what? I knew you could get my vibe. I knew you could get my vibe. <laughs> and I didn't interrupt her. I was like, this ain't no vibe. He's real. I didn't say anything like that. I just listened, and she said that. And then she finally said, you know what? I bet you you're tired of hearing me. But just, and she said this, just pray for me. And she left before I could offer to pray for her. But I, I prayed for her. And if I go back there again and I see her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to minister to her. Amen. All right. Psalms 91, verses 9, through, uh, verses 9, 11, and 12 in the Passion. Again, this is not in your notes. It says, when we live our lives in the shadow of the Most High, our secret hiding place, he will always shield us from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. Acts 16, 23 through 26 in the King James, it says, And when they had laid hands, this is Paul, and now this is Paul and Silas, after they had boldly preached the word of God, it picks up and says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. In other words, they locked them up in chains. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. The word of God is not by mistake. The prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Listen, when he is your standby, there is angels' armies waiting to be dispatched on your behalf to protect you, to keep you, to align you. He, when he says he's never left you nor forsaken you, he really hasn't. There are, are, there are angels right now next to you. Some of them are fat because they have not been dispatched. It says there that when they had prayed, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. When you've done all that you can do, sometimes you just got to say, Hallelujah. Father, all of heaven knows your name. 
right? Praise God. You see, they, they want me to record with them. I just keep, you know, I keep, I, I, I keep pushing them back because they ain't ready for this. They ain't ready. When you've done all that you can do, and especially when you find yourself in this place of despair, even in your doubt and in your worry, it takes the sacrifice of praise to shake the ground and to open the cage and to loose the chains so that God can move on your behalf. When you can praise God in the depths of your sorrow, that's faith. And let me learn you a little something. Even if it just starts out in the flesh, even if it starts out with, I don't feel like it, I'm tired, I don't know what to do, the situation is so bad, I'm in so much pain, but Father, you're faithful, but Father, you're good, but Father, I love you, and I know you won't leave me nor forsake me. You see my circumstances. Hallelujah to your name. Glory be to who you are. Praise God in the highest. You are great and greatly to be praised. And if you can sing, sing loud. Sing joyously. Sing till your hair sweats out. Sing till you just got snot and sweat and tears all over your face. That's where Paul, Paul and Silas, they didn't just lock them up. Mind you, they have been beaten. They have been tortured. They're in chains, not in jail, but in the innermost jail. Yes, they're in the, they are in solitary confinement. And it said that they prayed and sang praises so loud that the other prisoners and guards heard them. In spite of their pain, in spite of their situation, and it might have started out in the flesh. Well, you know what we got to do, Paul. Yeah, I know we got to do, Silas. My back hurt, though, man. They got me real good on the left side, man. I know, but you know what? It don't compare to the piercing that they did to Jesus' side. So let's get on up and do what we got to do. Our Father. All of heaven knows your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. All right, listen, I, I want to I get to this one because this one's very important. Number six, I, there's a lot more to say there, but let me keep going. Number six, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? This means to make God sad, sorrowful, just like we grieve the passing of our loved one, just like we grieve a situation in our life that equals loss, i.e. divorce the severance of a meaningful relationship. God is grieved. And this is comparable to what he says in Genesis 6, 6, when he says that it grieved God that he had created man because sin was so rampant in the earth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 32, it says, 
and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Here you go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Number one, sin grieves Holy Spirit. Sin grieves Holy Spirit. Anytime we delve in sin, I'm not talking about that mistake. Yes, that mistake, but there's angels. Like, like I said, even in our mistakes, if we're repentant and we want to be right and get right, he's there to undergird us. So he's going to keep dealing with us as long as our heart is to be right. But when we get comfortable in sin, when we say, you know what, no, we're not married, but come on, let's live together because we'll save on rent. We're going to get married anyway, so let's go ahead. We can do it. Or when, you know, you're with a bunch of friends and, 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 and they started the opium addictive behavior, whether it's opium pills, opiate, opiates, weed. I don't care how legal it is, all that. Cigarettes, alcohol. And we've adopted it as a lifestyle. It grieves Holy Spirit. Why does he grieve Holy Spirit? Because he says, I died. Jesus died so that you don't have to be that way. I'm here. Holy Spirit says, I'm here for your victory, but you're voiding my assignment. I'm here for your overcoming, but you're deleting my character. I'm here to heal, but you're inviting sickness. I'm here to comfort, but you're stretching for, towards distress. He's grieved. Number two, he's grieved when we love the world more than we love him. I'm here so that you can live so far above what the world has to offer. I'm here to give you your citizenship papers in the kingdom of God. But when we reject him and we chase the world, he's grieved. Number three, when we function and operate in doubt. When we function and operate in doubt, I'm here to give you so much more, but you have to trust me. But our past experiences teaches us not to go where we don't know. But everything that he has for us is in the I don't know. Number four, he's grieved when we operate in pride. He's grieved when we operate in pride. When we want to know more than he does. When we want to be superior. When we want to have our way over his way. Number five, he's grieved, and I, when I looked this up, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. He's grieved when we slack in prayer. When we turn to our own devices and not to him, he was like, what about me? When we slack in prayer, he's grieved. 
So what happens when we grieve Holy Spirit? This is interesting. This is theologian studies, but it actually ended up being part of a Pew Research. I won't give you all the numbers, but it was interesting to me. When we grieve Holy Spirit and we operate in those things, it equals, number one, loss of all sense of his presence. A loss of all sense of his presence. So when we are operating in sin, when we are loving the world, when we are erring on the side of doubt and not faith, when we are having in our pride and we don't have a prayer life, you can't tell me that God told you anything. You might be saved as far as fire insurance is concerned, but hearing the voice of God, you know it not. Number two, a loss of joy. I was like, wow. So that's why so many Christians have sunken into depression and all the diagnoses of mental illness because of loss of joy. Number three, a loss of power. A loss of power. What is that power? Power comes when you know God answered your prayer. Power comes when you know that God is on your side. Power is when you step over the threshold of what you know into faith. Power is what Holy Spirit supplies. Number four, a loss of assurance. Always second-guessing yourself. Always second-guessing and over-analyzing and thinking your way out of what's good instead of into what's good. Number five, and this one hurts, the loss of usefulness. The loss of usefulness. When we get to a place where we say, oh, they don't need my help. What can I offer? I'm not qualified. This is beyond my pay grade. When we think smaller of ourselves, we've deactivated Holy Spirit, a loss of usefulness. And when he talks about being sealed until the day of redemption, Holy Spirit is here, and he's that insignia that seals us until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. People believe that I don't need to be a part of a church because Jesus is going to come back for me anyway. Even if I was just by myself, he's going to come. No. Read the story of Abraham. He said, if there's 10, would you save the city? He said, yeah, if there's 10, I'll save the city. If Jesus wouldn't save a little city for 10, he ain't saving a whole earth for one. He'll just deliver the one, right, and deal with the earth. But when he says we are sealed until the day of redemption, Holy Spirit is that seal. When God says he's coming, Jesus is coming back, it says specifically he's coming back for the church, for the called out ones. Because you know why? Even the church can be messy. She messy. She can get a little dirty. She's not as white as we need her to be. Why? Because you're here. The church can be messy. We can be messy. But he loves us anyway. Because he says it's the church, the called out ones, that's sealed. He, it's, it, it's likened to taking a, an insignia ring and, and, and with the wax sealing that, 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 that heart. Sealing there means preserved. 
How many of y'all got Ziplocs? We all know what a Ziploc is. When we want to keep something, we put it in a Ziploc, we smoosh out the air, the unnecessary stuff, and we seal it. Preserved. When it says that we are sealed until the day of resumption, he's talking about the sealing of testation or confirmation. Sealing means it's like an identification mark. You know how a farmer will take the brand and he'll sear the back of his cow so that everybody knows that this cow belongs to Johnny Walker. Right? And this cow belongs to Cynthia Ray. And that cow belongs to Catherine Josie. And that cow belongs to Kevin Williams. We are sealed by way of Holy Spirit in our hearts to say we belong to Jesus. And then sealing also finally means appropriation. See that identification mark says, I don't care if it's not fair, they have access. I don't care if you can't explain it, I've given it to them. I don't care if they only tithe, I still do abundantly more. I don't care if they only give me 15 hours of their day, I'll still make up for the other 23 and 45 minutes. 23 hours and 45 minutes. Seal gives us, that. his seal gives us access in the spirit realm. How many of you can say, I've experienced the supernatural? I, there's things that happened to me. I don't know how I got out of it. I don't know how I made it through. I don't know if I just think of what shoulda, coulda, or woulda been. You've experienced being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Because he kept you. He delivered you. He protected you. Kept you in your right mind. Gave you a safe haven surrounded you with angels. Those angels might have been people, but he surrounded you with people that were willing to, access, to, to, to give you favor. Never undermine, saints, the presence, the power, and the persistence of the Holy Spirit. Know that he is on assignment and has been dispatched on your behalf. If the Holy Spirit who hovered the earth and was the one that caused God's words to be, when he said light be, land be separated from the earth, it was the Holy Spirit that created this earth. If he can do that, he can definitely move on your behalf. If we just keep him front and center and acknowledge him as our best friend, I'm going to conclude by reading this. Now that we know who he is, as the music department makes their way up, and we can now understand the power that he possesses, let us not fail to realize how he operates in our lives every single day, not just in church. Holy Spirit is not just moving in church. He's moving when you wake up. He's moving when you're driving. He's moving when you get to work. He's moving when you turn on that computer. He's moving in everything you do. He's on standby waiting to be optimized. There's no reason for any believer to live, live 
We'll experience it, but we don't have to live in a state of confusion, frustration, distress. When we understand the power that lives in us, the believer called Holy Spirit, our paraclete, our helper, our guide, our advocate and comforter, our friend. So, I want you to know my best friend, if you don't already know him. Why every head is bowed, hearts are searching everywhere. Holy Spirit is here right now. And he's dealing with the hearts of some of you. He's filtering out your experiences. He's filtering your thoughts. He's filtering your desires. He's filtering your existence. He's filtering right now all that's him and all that's not him. And he's dealing with hearts right now, online and in this place, saying, I want more of you. You saying you want more of me, but I'm telling you, I want more of you. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died, rose from the grave, and he is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.